to others and fellowship with God to be affected by the actions of others. Thankfully, as shown in my introduction, my identity is found in my relationship to Jesus and not in my struggles with my hurts, habits, and hangups. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was one of six children. And for as long as I can remember, my father was an alcohol, active alcoholic who drank nearly every day of his life. My mom's a terrific person who did the best she could to cope with an unmanageable situation. And God was not talked much about in our family, but I did attend a Catholic church on a regular basis. My grandparents normally took me to church, and I'm forever grateful that they planted the seed of God's word in my life. And God was not the only thing not discussed much in our home. We never talked about my dad's alcoholism, about important life issues, nor did we even tell one another that we loved each other. Things were ignored in the hope that difficult situations or emotions might just go away. And some of my earliest memories involved waking up at night and sneaking downstairs to see if my dad had made it home. The kids often wouldn't see my dad as he would leave before he got up and not come home till after we were asleep. And while never physically abusive, dad often was verbally abusive when he was drunk, which was most of the time. There were many str struggles taking car keys away from my dad. It's a miracle that he never hurt himself or someone else when he was driving. Even so, and to this day, I can't explain why I constantly defended and made excuses for my dad. And I never admitted to anyone that he had a problem. However, I did harbor resentments that he never took me to a ball game or came to even see one of my wrestling matches. As I grew and I went to junior high and then high school, I became more and more introverted. I could not look anyone in the eye and hated being in crowds. Rarely did I have friends over concerned what I might find at home. My dad's drinking affected his ability to work, and our home soon fell into disrepair. Soon I was eligible to receive free lunches at school, and all these things added to my embarrassment and caused me to withdraw more and more. My escape soon came in the form of daydream, even when in a crowded room. And when I was 16, my mom had finally had enough and told my father to move out, and he immediately moved in with his longtime girlfriend. I thought that at long last, the source of my discomfort would be removed from my life. Again, for reasons I still don't understand, I felt obligated to continue to see and try to please my father. I went through high school and was an excellent student. People say, would say I was an ideal teenager. I was never in trouble, made excellent grades, and was mostly a homebody. Still, I was very unhappy, had few friends, and managed to make it all the way through high school, even college, without going on a single date. Following high school, I was accepted by the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I moved to school in September of 1974. Things didn't change a whole lot in college. I still achieved in the classroom, was still trying to please my father, and was still socially and spiritually bankrupt. At this time, I believed in God, but did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Following my graduation from college, I took a job in Denver, Colorado. Finally, I thought I would be free of my father's influence. And quite to the contrary, I still made the expected phone calls and visits when I was home. And I now realize that I exhibit many typical characteristics of children of alcoholics. Some of these characteristics include fear of abandonment, fear of confrontation, low self-esteem, and constantly trying to be a people pleaser. It's easy now to see how growing up in an alcoholic home affected all my adult relationships. Even when my father passed away a few years later as a result of his addiction, these character defects did not go away. Even though I didn't realize it at the time, these defects were mine, and I was in desperate need of the recovery that only God could provide. 
And a little while later, God began planting the seeds for my recovery by bringing Cindy, who would later become my wife, into my life. Hello, my name is Cindy, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with control, perfectionism, people-pleasing, and forgiving myself. I was born a poor middle child in 1960 to my then 21-year-old dad and my 20-year-old mother. My parents had three children in three years, and I know I'm very blessed in the parent department. This year in April, my parents will celebrate 59 years of marriage. I have lived in Chickasha since the age of five, except for 12 years, which included time away for college and the first few years of being newly married. I was raised at First Baptist Chickasha and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was 14 years old. I took on and learned the middle child role very quickly in life. I became a people pleaser, and since I didn't excel in the classroom quite as well as my brother and sister, I quickly found other avenues to make my mark. I truly discovered my spiritual gift of cheerleading and best locker room decorator. I seem to be everyone's best buddy, and I've always loved people, and I love making them smile and laugh. Although I never have felt pressure from my parents to excel academically like my brother and sister did, I did, however, place great pressure on myself to excel in other areas. Upon graduating from high school, I attended OU Health Sciences Center and received a bachelor's degree in dental hygiene in 1983. During my senior year of college, my cousin set me up on a blind date, that's what we did before Match.com, with a guy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania named Dan. Now on paper, we are total opposites. He was raised in the Catholic faith, me a Southern Baptist girl. He was raised cheering for Terry Bradshaw and those Pittsburgh Steelers, and the only professional team I knew about were the OU Sooners. <laughs> Dan loved Tony Bennett and Jazz. I loved Willie, Waylon, Johnny, and Merle. I knew the first time I met him that he was kind, gentle, a little bit funny, and he treated me with kindness and respect. But most of all, I knew he loved his family and he respected what my family meant to me. Dan and I dated only eight months before he proposed and we were married December 18, 1982. This past December was 34 years for us. A few months into our marriage, we started thinking and talking about having a child. I'd really always just wanted to be a mom and a housewife. Now that sounds really funny right now. In my quiet time, each morning, I found great comfort in a scripture, and I began to pray it, just like Hannah had in 1 Samuel 27, for this child I had prayed. May 1st, 1984, God proved himself faithful, and we were blessed with our first son. A few very short months later, in November of 85, we were blessed with our second son. Two full-blood little boys who had tons of energy. What more could a mom want? They were rowdy, energetic, and of course, very bright. They both accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior at First Baptist Chickasha, and were both active in Sunday school, youth group, Falls Creek, Super Summer, and mission trips. All while both of them found their niche in school activities, and both of the boys excelled academically. 
The oldest was a pretty awesome high school wrestler, and the youngest found his happy place on the theater stage. Even though the boys were total opposites, they both grew up respecting each other's interests. We seemed really to have it all as a family. But when our oldest was a sophomore in high school, that would have been the year 2000, my fairy tale of a happy home became a very scary nightmare. Our son begins experimenting with alcohol and marijuana at his sophomore year of high school. We knew of the weekend alcohol use, and I found the first bag of marijuana when I was returning a prom tuxedo to the rental store his sophomore year. Of course, Dan and I were both shocked that he would do such a thing to us. We, of course, did all the wrong hysterical things. We threatened, we yelled, we even said stupid stuff like, if you loved us, you wouldn't be doing this. As high school continued, his, his drug of choice became pills and cocaine. I remember coming home a few times, finding a mirror and razor blades on my dining room table. The martyr in me kicked in. How dare he bring this into my house and leave remnants for me to find. He successfully completed high school as a decorated high school wrestler and an academic Allstate recipient, all while using drugs and alcohol. As a result of a very high ACT score, he received a very sizable scholarship to OU. Dan and I wanted to be excited and held on to the hope that this would start a new path for him, but unfortunately it didn't. Dan and I constantly worried about him and figured his time was limited at OU if he continued down this path. Our youngest son was still in high school and we tried very hard to act happy and make things as normal for him as we could. Shortly into the second semester at OU, our son was declared ineligible and he quit school. He did not have the option of coming home and so his car in a Walmart parking lot became his home. He had sold or pawned everything we had sent him to OU with and stole from others to support his habit. On April 30th, 2003, we received the phone call no parent wants to receive. Our son had been found unresponsive, slumped over the wheel of his car. We made the long trip to Norman. I know it's only 30 miles, but it seemed like 500. And when, we finally came, and when he finally came to, we convinced him to go to his first rehab. On May 1st, 2003, his 19th birthday, as we were preparing to take him, Dan and he were loading the car, and I was finishing my quiet time. That morning, my Bible and my devotional turned to 1 Samuel 27 for this child I had prayed. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. God was reminding me that this child was a child of his, and at that first rehab facility during family week, Dan and I were introduced to a secular recovery program called Al-Anon. And at that first rehab in 2003, we turned our son's recovery over to God. Does that mean we left it in God's hands? No, I know I've tried to take it back many times. When Dan and I left family week, we started attending Al-Anon here in town three to four times a week because Dan and I knew we had to get better and stay better whether our son did or not. Well, thank goodness we did, because his sobriety was short-lived and then began the cycle of using, disappearing, stealing, and rehab after rehab all over again. Thank goodness Dan and I had a program to work and sponsors to confide in. I know our marriage would not have survived, because see, Dan and I did and said a lot of stuff that was dishonoring to God and to our marriage during the years of our despair. We didn't immediately do everything perfectly, like they taught us in Al-Anon, 
And yes, we still had sleepless nights of not knowing where he was or what he was surviving on. But we were gaining tools through recovery meetings to help us make it one day at a time. In 2007, we were blessed to be instrumental with another couple in our congregation in starting Celebrate Recovery at First Baptist Chickasha. Through CR, I've learned to not blame myself for Dan or take responsibility for our son's addictive behaviors and actions. I've been able to forgive myself for outrageous and awful things I've thought and acted on towards others. Dan and I have been able to forgive each other for the blame and hurtful things we vomited all over each other during our years of despair and hopelessness. God has been able to reveal some real insecurities in my life that I often mask with busyness and people-pleasing. I've learned to see me as Christ sees me. When I start to beat myself up with a whole bunch of what-ifs or if-onlys, God quickly recenters me and my eyes become fixed back on Him. I think the turning point in my recovery was when I got out of God's way and gave Him room to work in my son's life. Through working the 12 steps to celebrate recovery, I've been able to make amends to both of my boys and to Dan and to others I hurt during my times of hysteria. One of the toughest things I had to learn and understand was how I could see my son like Christ saw him, even in his disease. It was easy for me to walk into the rooms on Monday night at Celebrate Recovery and have complete compassion for others like my son. But then, when I found him passed out or high, I felt the need to demoralize him and make him feel worse than he already did. I was able to ask my youngest son for forgiveness for being a mentally absent parent at times because of all my thoughts and energy consumed with my oldest. Dan and I have been able to restore our relationship, both in areas of trust, respect, and physical touch. I never want to go back to the days and nights of degrading and accusing each other constantly and letting it spill over into our physical relationship. I didn't ever want to, my feelings to be shut down again. I really am more in love with Dan today than I was 34 years ago. I specifically remember praying about the difficulties my son was experiencing. I began telling God what I planned to do to keep him out of trouble and asking God to bless my efforts. And God rebuked me by reminding me about when Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 that he would have to die to fulfill God's ultimate purpose, our salvation. Basically, Peter said he would not allow that to happen. And Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Similarly, God told me to get out of the way, that I was hindering his work in my son's life. I had to trust God knew what he was doing, even if it was painful. God has blessed me so much through Celebrate Recovery. It may sound strange, but even though I wouldn't have chosen the path my life has taken, I wouldn't change it now forever for anything. I can see that God has used the circumstances of my life to draw me closer to him and to change me to be a better husband, father, friend, and servant. My relationship with my wife and sons is much more enjoyable. Not so much because our circumstances have improved, but that God has worked to change my heart. This is a gift for which I will be forever grateful. Another gift God has given me is allowing me to make peace with my father, even though this occurred after his death. I now realize that he was a victim of his disease and not just a selfish person intent on making my life miserable. And I hope to continue making living amends to my dad by showing compassion to those suffering from the same affliction as he did. 
And I also learned that God wants me to turn all things over to his care. There are many issues in my life that God has dealt with that didn't seem to have anything to do with the reasons that I came to my first recovery meeting. I've learned that God wants us to turn all aspects of our lives over to his care and control. And for me, one of the most important things about Celebrate Recovery is realizing that I'm not alone. It's helped me to get away from the self-imposed isolation that I used as a coping mechanism. Through the steps and principles of Celebrate Recovery, we are encouraged to look at ourselves and what God wants to do with our lives. We can do this with the love and encouragement of others in the program. I love the fifth step that we take on our road to recovery that states we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Notice how important other believers are to the recovery process. Forgiveness comes when we confess our sins to God. Healing begins when we confess our sins to someone else. And Celebrate Recovery provides a safe place where this type of confession can take place. It is a place where there is no condemnation or judgment. And God's love can prevail here despite the worst of circumstances if we just let it. In the 10 years that we've been involved with CR, God has proven himself faithful a thousand times over. Do we grow tired and weary? Sure we do. There's nothing more mentally draining than working with broken people, but there's also nothing more rewarding than working with broken and hurting people. My favorite thing still to this day is loving on and listening to that mom who enters our doors for the first time. <laughs> because I will never forget that someone did that for me. Dan and I both know we are serving where we need to be serving, and by serving we can imitate Jesus and his love. We want to walk this path with others. There are still days when we hurt or feel stuck in our recovery, but we know God is still healing us and there is reason to celebrate. Psalms 30, 11 through 12 says, You turn my wailing into dancing, you remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, and may my heart sing your praises always and forever. You ask me if our son is clean and sober today. I think I can answer that with a big O Y E S. In June of 2012, he found himself in the Salvation Army of Tulsa in the Men's Rehab Center. He completed six months there and then went on to sober livings for six months. They tell you to be sober for at least one year before you make any life changes like dating. One year and one day into his sobriety, <laughs> Connor asked out a really darling girl and they were married in September of 2014. In December of that same year, he celebrated, we all celebrated, as he graduated after 12 and a half years with a degree in substance abuse counseling. And on September 3rd, 2015, The most beautiful little girl, Isabel, was born to him and his darling wife, making Dan and I grandparents for the first time. In August of 2016, our son became the high school algebra teacher and assistant wrestling coach at Putnam City West. And on June 3rd of this year, our son will pick up his five-year sobriety chip. In Joel 2.25, it says, God will restore the years that the locust has eaten. And I believe that is exactly what we are experiencing today. Are my days free of worry? No, but my days are free of obsessive thinking to the point that I cannot function and I don't lash out at others because of my fears. God doesn't want us to be crippled by fear and worry. He wants us to live victoriously in him. 
God has shown me no matter how much I love my two sons, who are now 32 and 31, he loves them a thousand times more. I am so thankful each and every day that God did not answer my limiting prayer of, just don't let Connor die on the streets alone. That's all I wanted when I was so desperate. Man, God showed up and showed off. He answered my prayers in ways I could not have even imagined. If you are a parent, a spouse, a sister, or brother here today that has someone in your family that you cannot see a way out for, never give up on them. Work on yourself first. Pray every day, humbly on your knees, and get ready to thank God for his amazing gift. If you are hurting or someone you know is struggling, <clears throat> we'd love to see you at Celebrate Recovery tomorrow night at 7. Give God a chance to change things. He can take your pain and give you a purpose. He can turn your mess into a message, and he can take your crying and turn it into a praise of gratitude. But most of all, he can give you joy and peace and freedom from whatever hurt, habit, or hang-up you are struggling with. Thank you for letting us share. Thank you, Dan and Cindy. We're going to take a moment now to dismiss our children upstairs for our kids' crew worship time. We held off on doing that today because we wanted everyone to be able to hear that testimony of God's faithfulness and, uh, and, and to be a part of this celebration of a great ministry that God has been using to bring healing and redemption in the lives of people who, who so desperately need it for 10 years now here at First Chickasha. Praise God for that. And, uh, and we look forward to many more years of his faithfulness. You know, God doesn't have to use a program like CR. Uh, God can bring healing in any numerous and, and almost in, un, unfathomable ways. But he does use the program of Celebrate Recovery. And I believe in part why he does that, why it's become a, a chosen instrument of his, is because CR is a place where people will come and they will let down their facade. They will let down the, the, the barrier that they have, the, the mask that they wear, so to speak. And just as Dan shared, they will confess what's really going on in their life. And, and I believe that that confession is instrumental to the work that God wants to do in bringing recovery. And so this morning, I want to look at this passage of Scripture, this verse of Scripture that, that Dan mentioned in their testimony, James Chapter 5, verse 16. So I encourage you to turn your Bible to James chapter 5, verse 16 this morning. And what I want us to see are seven things that happen through confession that bring about recovery in our lives. Now let's establish this fundamental principle this morning. This is essential for us to understand. And that is that in this room this morning, each and every one of us are in need of recovery. Sometimes there's the, the idea that recovery is for those who are suffering with addiction. There's the idea that recovery is for people who have maybe struggled with some kind of a substance abuse, or they're the family member or loved ones of people who have subs, uh, who, who wrestle with substance abuse, or maybe there's other, some other form of, of what we would consider you know, a, a, a recognized pattern of addictive behavior, and we think, well, okay, so recovery is for people who are plagued by their addiction. And what I would say this morning is this, that every one of us, every 
one of us is plagued by the, the problem of brokenness and addiction to our sin. Now, it may manifest itself in different ways. For some, it manifests itself in the very destructive behavior of, of substance abuse, or it, it manifests itself in other very destructive ways that will get you in trouble with the law. But every one of us are wrestling against a sin nature that leads us to constantly go down that path of seeking after fulfillment from things that cannot give it, and, and looking for some sort of high, if you will, from an object or a thing that was never intended to bring the kind of satisfaction, the kind of fulfillment that our hearts are longing for. We know that ultimately, that sense of satisfaction, that sense of, uh, of completion, the sense of fulfillment that our souls desire is only found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning what we want to do is talk about how confessing our sins and, and opening ourselves up to the, the healing and redemptive work that God wants to do in our lives positions us not only to receive healing from the Father, but also to begin walking in the recovery that our hearts desperately need. James chapter 5, verse 16 we read this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I want to focus most, most specifically this morning on the, the phrase, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Seven ways that confession can bring about Recovery can bring about healing in our lives this morning. The first one is this. Confession humbles our pride. At the root of all of our problem of sin is pride. If you could reduce in some manner, in some way, if you could reduce every sin that we've ever committed down to something, what is the, the basic substance of sin? I believe it to be pride that we want what we want. We want to do things our way. We want to be in control. We want to be the one that calls the shots. We want to determine the direction that our lives should go. And so ultimately that pride then works its way out in any number of areas as we sin, right? Our sins are different and in, in, in the ways that we sin and the degree to which we sin and all of the It looks different in every one of our lives, but the, the common denominator in all of our sin is the idea that somehow we know better. We know best. We want our way. And ultimately, that's rooted in pride. When we come before the Lord in confession and when we come before one another in confession, we have to acknowledge that we are broken. We have to acknowledge that, that we need God's help. We have to acknowledge that we don't have enough to make it on our own. And that, friends, is the beginning to everyone's recovery. In Celebrate Recovery, there are eight steps of recovery that are based on the Beatitudes. And the first of those steps of recovery talks about this confession, this acknowledgement that my life is a mess. This morning, if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, What would this look like in my life, right? Humbling myself. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't know that I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of pride. I may have these other things that I wrestle against, but, but I'm, I'm pretty selfless. There's not a lot of pride. Listen, you need to hear this. 
you need to hear this. There is no healing in hiding. You cannot begin the road to recovery as it's often described in Celebrate Recovery. That road to recovery. You cannot begin that until you are willing to be emptied of yourself and your wants and your desires and even beyond that, your own power and your own ability and acknowledge before God that without Him, you have nothing. Here's the beauty of the gospel, is that when you would acknowledge before God that you have nothing, then that, friends, is when you can receive everything through what He has to give us. Confession humbles our pride. Secondly, confession creates community. Confession creates community. When we are vulnerable enough to let down our guard, to acknowledge our sins, to admit and confess our sins to others. It creates community. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever gone through conflict with someone, it, most notably perhaps with, with spouses, husband and wife, but it's not just limited to those relationships, but have you ever gone through some kind of conflict with someone and you come out the other side and you feel like you're closer than you were? And, and although you, you don't want to relive the conflict or the problems of the past, you recognize that there is a closeness in your relationship that you would not have developed had you not gone through some of those problems together. Every couple goes through this, right? We, we do premarital counseling, my wife and I, with, with couples, and in fact, we have several couples right now that we're walking through different stages of premarital counseling with, and, and one, of the, one of the sessions that we do, we focus on conflict. We talk about the fact that there, there is a point in every relationship, every uh, dating relationship, where you recognize that that. You, you've got to work through some things, right? There's the, the myth, the idea that, oh, we just love each other, we never fight. That's, that blows up in your face at some point, right, in every relationship. And you work through some things. But then there's, there's that thing that you figure out as you work through some things, and that is that, you know what? It's going to be okay. Like we're, we, can, we can have conflict, we can work through things, and we can, we can hold this together. And in fact, as we walk through conflict, I believe in a biblical way, we see that walking through problems, walking through things, actually creates community. It, it bonds us together. It, it welds our hearts together in a way because as we confess sins, as we acknowledge our brokenness and our wrong to one another, what we, what we recognize is that not only do we need God's grace, but we need grace from others as well. And then as we receive that grace from others, it, it, it opens this door for community. We can truly be known when we are seen for what we are, right? And that happens when we are willing to let down our guard, be vulnerable, and confess. Third, we see that confession builds up the body, and, and this really goes hand in hand with the previous point, that as community happens amongst people who are willing to confess their sins. As community happens, as we're willing to be vulnerable and open about the things that we wrestle with, then we can begin to experience the, the healing, in, not only in our relationship with the Lord, but in our relationships with one another. And as that happens, the body is strengthened. The bonds that exist, that strengthening of those bonds that happens on an individual level when we have community with others because of our confession ultimately strengthens the whole body. I'll never forget few years ago when our youngest son broke his leg. He was three years old and he broke his, his leg. Actually, both bones in his lower leg were broken just above the ankle. And the doctor talked about, the orthopedist that we saw in the hospital, and they were 
you know, dealing with the broken bone. The, the, the doctor talked about how this is going to heal back stronger than it was. And in fact, this is going to be the strongest point in his body is going to be where these bones grow back together. And, and the bones, thank goodness, were aligned just right. And he talked about how, he said this to us. He said, you can't stop this from healing back. It's, though it's been broken because things are in the right place and everything is set the way that it needs to be, you won't be able to stop. He said little ones have an amazing ability for their bodies to heal. Now, of course, what we believe is that that's by God's design, that the body works that way. But you know, the spiritual body works that way as well. That even though things can become broken by God's grace, when we align ourselves because of confession, you can't stop the healing that comes because God does a work in melding those hearts together and the body is built up because of it. True story with him. I like to tell this part of the story because I, I think it, in a funny way it speaks to the, the way that that happens. When they removed the cast from his leg about 10 weeks later, my three-year-old son had all of this dark black thick hair on that part of his leg where the cast was. And we thought it was the funniest thing that a three-year-old had a really hairy leg, right? But what we learned was that in the midst of that healing process, his body was sending first priority. All the nutrients, all the hormones, all, everything that the body needed to heal was going to that place first. It was His body recognized that this was broken and it was priority one to the point that he even for a little while had a nice hairy leg, you know? And of course, that went away over time. We just thought it was the funniest thing, but it's a picture of how God brings healing by rushing the, the restoring grace where it's needed the most. And, and that happens in our bodies, but it, it also happens in the body of Christ when we confess. Fourth, we see that confession breaks down walls of division. I think of every time there's any kind of sin that takes place in our lives. There's, there are walls, there are, there are barriers that go up, right? Sin isolates us from the Lord, and sin isolates us from one another. But when we're willing to confess our sins, those walls are broken down. I, I love the picture of God being the one, brick by brick, tearing down the walls of separation, of isolation that our sin has caused, not only with, with Him, and most importantly in our relationship with Him. He removes those walls of division, but also in our relationship with one another as well. Fifth, we see that confession restores relationships. Confession restores relationships. Everything that we've talked about, humbling ourselves of our pride, creating community, the, the body being built up, breaking down walls of division, all of these things lead to restored relationships. When we confess our sins before God and when we confess our sins with one another, our relationships can be restored. Because ultimately, here's what we have to acknowledge. When we confess our sins before God and even when we confess our sins before others, we have to acknowledge that no matter what sins you and I have done against one another, no matter what sins we may have sinned against one another, my sins before God are greater and He's forgiven them. Whatever, whatever pains I may have caused you, whatever, whatever brokenness and, and, and hurt I may have caused in the lives of others, when I go before God and I'm willing to confess my sins, I realize that the greater sin, the greater guilt was not against others, but ultimately against God himself. I've rebelled against his authority and his, his rule, his control, and his love 
and his grace, and I've rebelled against his goodness. I've rebelled against the sacrifice that he's made. I've turned my back on him and my sin. And when we recognize that God forgives us and restores us, we have to be willing to forgive one another as well and restore relationships. And that happens when we confess. In recovery ministry, we often talk about the fact that confession opens the door to recovery. Dan mentioned that even in his testimony. Confession opens the door to recovery. You cannot enter into recovery. They would tell you, and, and you learn this as you begin to process through the eight steps of recovery or whether you go through the 12 steps that are in the big book or whatever program you're following, you, you learn that you cannot experience recovery. You cannot walk in, live in recovery unless unless you are willing to confess your sins. And importantly, it's not just confessing them to God, although it must begin, I believe, with confessing our sins to God, but also, as it says here, confess your sins to one another. Confessing our sins to one another is important as well. Being honest and open, being willing to to ask for forgiveness is an important part of recovery. And when we are willing to acknowledge our wrong, humble ourselves, then we open the door for recovery to begin. And then finally this morning, I want us to see exactly what this verse tells us, and that is confession brings healing. Confession brings healing. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins, pray for one another, that you may be healed. See, healing happens when we are willing to confess our sins. Dan said it again so perfectly. Forgiveness happens when we confess our sins before God. Healing happens when we confess our sins to one another. I wonder this morning how many of us maybe have have been living in hiding because of our brokenness and our sin. How many of us have been hiding from, from one another, wearing a mask to cover up who we really are, thinking that somehow we could hide from God, right? That we could hide behind the facade that we've created that even God Himself wouldn't see our hearts for what they are and wouldn't see us for who we really are. Here's the, the truth that we all need to hear this morning. God sees us for who and for what we are. We cannot hide our sins from Him. We cannot mask the reality of who we are and hide from Him. We may be able to play that game with each other, and and too often we do play that game, but God is not fooled. But here's the even more beautiful truth. When we understand the true nature of the gospel is that in spite of who we are and what we are, God loves us. And he passionately pursues us. He even offered his life for us. Because his desire is to rescue us from our brokenness. And as long as we hide behind a mask, hide behind a front, we will never know the forgiveness that God offers and the community that is waiting for us when we walk in recovery. Confession is the doorway through which we enter into all that God has for us. It begins 
by humbly acknowledging our sin before God and confessing Him as Lord and Savior. But it continues as we walk in His redemptive grace by acknowledging our sins with one another and praying for one another that we may be healed. And this morning, I want to, I want to plead with you. I, I want to beg with you that you would experience the forgiving grace that God has for you. The overwhelming flood of His goodness and His mercy that will wash over you if you would humbly confess your sins before Him, confess Him as Lord and Savior, and then also, in humility, confess your sins and pray for others that you may be healed. In a moment, we'll have a time of response, and, and the response this morning is, 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 is straightforward enough, right? There's really essentially two, two things that we need to acknowledge. First and foremost is our brokenness before God and our need of forgiveness that we would confess our sins before Him and confess our brokenness and, and even confessing Him as Savior and Lord, His ability to, to restore what is broken. And then secondly, and, and also importantly, would we be willing to confess our sins and pray for one another that we may experience God's healing? So in a moment when we stand to sing this song of response, our altars will be open. If, if you need to come today and you need to begin with confession before God, I would, I would encourage you, I would plead with you, come. We'll be here at the front ready to pray with you, ready to, ready to try to encourage you, counsel you in some way as, as you're walking through what God's prompting your, your heart with this morning. But, but also, I would just encourage you, don't hide. Don't tell yourself the lie that, well, okay, I'll get out of here and... and, and Get away from all this, and, and I'll take care of it then. Don't run from what God wants to, wants to give you. Don't run from the grace that he wants to lavish upon you. But also, importantly, if you recognize that there's never been that moment in your life where you've truly confessed him as Lord and Savior. Listen, everything else that we talk about comes after that fact, right? The confession, the healing, all those things begins by acknowledging our brokenness and our need of a Savior before Him. And here's the amazing truth. is That in that moment when we would be willing to confess our sins, God stands ready to receive us. If we would confess our sins and believe in our heart, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, then we will be saved. This morning, would you be willing to confess your sins to Him, acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, Experience the forgiveness that God has for you. Pray with me now, would you? Lord God, I thank you that you have chosen confession as the way of, of forgiveness and healing. Lord, you could have done it any number of ways. You could have just, you could have just uh, with, with, with a blanket, showered your grace upon us. Lord, you could have worked through any, any manner you, you deemed necessary and appropriate. And you established this truth, that if we would confess our sins before you, we would be forgiven. If we would confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we would be healed. So Lord, this morning, move our hearts. Help us to see that there is no healing in hiding. Lord, humbly before you, we want to acknowledge our brokenness and humbly before one another, we want to live in the healing that you bring through our confession. 
move in our hearts now as we sing this song of response to you. We pray, God. Amen. We stand to sing together this morning. Our altars are open. I'll be here at the front ready to pray with you. You move now as God stirs your heart, as he, as he prompts you. Would you be willing to step out and receive the recovery, the healing that he wants to offer? You move now as we sing.